Take your Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. While you're turning there to Philippians chapter 3, quick story. I was in the sixth grade. Um, sixth grade, and my best friend's mom said to me and my buddy, my, our, my friend, she said, I signed the two of you up to compete in a track meet. And we just were like, okay, we, we can do that. We'll, we'll do that. And she signed another buddy of ours up. So there was three of us that went. And you know, when you're in the sixth grade, I don't rem- remember exactly where it was. I was. I'm thinking it was maybe in Salem. If it wasn't Salem, it may have been maybe down at like Lynn Benton Community College. But we went to a school and we, were, we competed on a track. Um, I think it was perhaps a college campus, but again, I wasn't paying so much attention to those, those details. And I had really never run before. I had never competed in, in track, any kind of track meet at all. Um, I just remember thinking, okay, simple enough. I just, um, I just wait for the gun to go, and then I just run. I stay in my track, and I just run. I just run hard, and I just win. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's how this is going to work, right? And, and so that was my mentality going in. Um, we were farm kids. I wasn't really a farm kid, but I grew up in the country. And you might recall, I mentioned last week that I worked for a farmer. My best friend's dad was a farmer. And, uh, and so we were, you know, we were farm kids, so we were pretty tough. You know, I was, I was, Perhaps the peak of my strength was in the sixth grade when I was doing that, sixth to the eighth grade when I was hauling bales of hay. I'm not sure if I've ever been so strong as, as those, those, those years there. Um, we were strong kids. Uh, we were big. We grew pretty quick. Uh, so I just recall running in this track meet, and it was either the 400 or the 800, and that I'm not really certain. It was either one time around the track or two times around the track. I remember... Um, just kind of waiting for the gun to, to go off and then running. And I just, I, I wasn't really, no one really ever instructed me in what to do, like to pace yourself, you know? So I just took off running. And I was, I'm not sure if you've seen Forrest Gump, but I was just kind of like, I'm just going to run. And I'm just, like, I was just running. And I remember coming around the final lap of the, of the, of the track and my, my, my buddy from town, I could hear him. I, I could hear him breathing hard behind me. <laughs> and he was, and, and it was, it was kind of a little bit annoying. And I, I thought, what, what is this? And I, I made the mistake of looking over my shoulder. I looked over my shoulder to see what, what was coming. I, I saw my buddy from town coming up behind me. And my buddy, in the, who was also in the sixth grade, wore glasses at that time, and a band that kind of hung around to keep his glasses on. Now he's got contacts, but had that band. And, and he, was, he was just running. And he was, he was pacing himself, but he was pushing himself harder and harder. <laughs> breathing, breathing. And just had his, his, his jaw tilted back. I'm going to do this. And, and my thought was, oh, no, you don't. Like, you're not going to pass me up. Like, you're not going to, this is not going to happen. I mean, he was, 
his legs in the sixth grade, they're not anymore, but they were toothpicks. Like he wore spandex and they were loose on him. I kid you not. And he, he was running and he goes, he goes by me and I thought, oh no, you don't. You're not going to do that. And, and yes, he did. And, and, my, and what I did is I was like, come on, Nate, kick it in high gear. You know, like, come on, let's do this. And I start to run harder. And I felt as though I had 20 pound weights on each leg. I couldn't go. I couldn't go. I was like, what's going on with these legs? How, what's going on here? I can't go. And my, my, my buddy, the city slicker, beat me. He won because I had not paced myself in that race. The passage that we look at this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And it's, it's a passage that really kind of gives us this analogy, though it's, it's not ever stated, it gives us this, um, this picture of, of running in a race. And so I want to work through this passage this morning with you. Look at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3 with me. Paul says this, he says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Stop there. Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained all of this. Nope. Not that I have been made perfect. Nope. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. When Paul says these words here, not that I have obtained all of this, what's he referring to? Not that I have obtained all of this. Not that I've already obtained all of this. What's he talking about? Well, we, we find the answer by looking back at what we studied last week. And I think it's directly connected to verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship that comes from sharing in his suffering. That's what I want to know. But, but Paul says, well, that is what I want to know. Paul is, is also saying, not that I have already obtained all of this. Now, I want you to take that, that thought for just a moment here and put it on pause because I just recognize that I, was, I wanted to, I put it in my notes, but I overlooked my notes here, and I wanted to send a special welcome to Dennis McGill. Dennis is back in church today, and Dennis, it has been a while since you have been back because you've had some health issues going on, kind of back and forth. And Dennis, I just want to say it is so good to have you back. And please know I was not wanting to overlook that. <laughs> Welcome back. Okay, off the pause button, back on play. But when I, when I just, I saw Dennis and I thought, wait a second, I was going to say something. All right, it's even in my notes here. All right. Okay, back to where I was at here. Um, Paul is saying, not that I've already obtained all of this. I haven't obtained this. There is more for me to know about Christ. 
There is more growth for me in my relationship with Christ. I want to know Christ. I still want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I think Paul is saying, I have not spiritually arrived yet. There is more that God is doing in me. Hey, if you're sitting here, and you're sitting here, and you have a relationship with Christ, and you know whether you have a relationship with Christ, I'm here just to remind you of what Paul is reminding us. He's not done with you. You have not obtained it all. God is still working. God is working on you. And I say, Paul, the Apostle Paul, if you have not obtained it, I have not obtained it either. If you can say that I have not obtained all this, then Nate is going to say, I have not obtained all this. And Paul, if you are saying that I press on, then I'm going to press on too. And I encourage you, you press on too. We have not arrived. I recall an older gentleman who I know, a godly gentleman, who is now at home with the Lord. He believed, and it was his theological background, he believed that he had arrived spiritually. He believed that he no longer sinned. That, that he had grown in so much holiness that he had not sinned. And all I wanted to say was, can I talk to your wife? Can I get her opinion on this? Can I talk to your children? I would like to see if they agree with your theological position. Because I think it's pretty obvious that, no, until the moment we go home to be with the Lord, we have not arrived. When we are face to face with Jesus, then we have arrived. And then we are made perfect. But until that moment, we grow in godliness. Absolutely, yes. But we have not arrived. God continues. And as long as God gives us breath and life, I think it's God's way of saying, I'm not done with you. I am not done with you. I have got more to teach you. And you might think that, oh, I think I've learned it all. I think I've learned everything the church can, can teach me. No. And then God brings some, or allows something to come into your life which says, I thought I already learned this. Apparently, I've got to learn this again. God is not done with me. And God is not done with you. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, to have taken hold of it. You recognize that, that Paul is basically uh, repeating what we just said, I haven't obtained this. Brothers and sisters, now he says, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But let me share this. So here's one thing I do. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I forget what's behind and I strain for what's ahead. So I ask you this question. What was behind Paul? Paul says, I forget what's behind. What was behind Paul? We, we've talked about this already, haven't we? I think that there's, there's two things that come to my mind that was behind Paul. One is achievement. Do you recall this in the very first part of chapter 3? where Paul talks about his credentials, 
his great resume, all of these things that he could brag about, tribe of Benjamin, as far as, um, as, far as uh, legalism, uh, he says faultless, or sorry, as far as uh, legalistic righteousness, faultless. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and there's other things. Like, this is, these were his bragging rights. So this was, this was in his past. These were things that he would have humanly liked to have taken pride in, confidence in. And yet Paul said, I take no confidence in this list. I take no confidence in this because it's rubbish. That there is nothing to be gained in this list. So that's something that Paul is choosing to, I put this behind me. I forget what's behind me. I forget these things. These things that, that from a worldly standpoint, I would like to brag about. From a carnal standpoint, I would like to brag about these things. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's in my past. And he's saying, no, I put that in my past. I forget these things. But I think there's another thing here that Paul is forgetting about. I think it's his guilt. Why do I say it's his guilt? Because when you and I think about the Apostle Paul, we think about great missionary, godly man, wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Incredible example. Yes, yes, and yes. And yet also Paul talks about it in his list, doesn't he? As for zeal, I went about persecuting the church. Paul had to live with the fact that people were dead because of him. He had to live with that. People underwent persecution. Why? Because he existed. Because he developed a false ideology and he went around trying to find Christians and lock them up in a jail cell. Because because he killed fellow Christians. And Paul had to live with this. He had to live with this knowledge. And so I think there was a list of achievements that Paul is saying, I choose to forget that. And there was also guilt that Paul was probably reminded of from time to time that the enemy, no doubt, kind of jabbed him and said, hey, Paul, remember? Remember who you were? Remember how you persecuted Christians? Remember your past and how ugly it is? I think that the enemy wanted to hold that over Paul. And Paul had to choose to put that behind him. Fellow believer, what's in your past? What is in your past? Your past is not Paul's past. But I ask you, has God changed your perspective? Has God given you a new and different perspective? Do you have a past, by chance, that is hard to let go of because it produces shame? Today, I want you to hear these words. If you personally know Christ, you can let go. Those are good words. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you can let go.
You can let go of your past. Do we deal with the consequences of our past? Yes, we do. Paul had to deal with the consequences of his past. You read in the book of Acts when he went on his missionary journeys, people looked at him like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're that guy who was killing people. You're the guy who was persecuting people. He had to live with that stigma. He had to overcome that. He had to deal with the consequences of his past. And so if there are things that you are ashamed of in your past, yes, there is the consequence. But I'm here to also tell you that Jesus has paid the price for the consequence. And he is willing to, to yes, you must bear the, the, the consequence, yes. But he forgives you completely. And he wants you to move on. And I am here to encourage you and say, hey, join with Paul and move on. Forget the past. Forget those things that you would rather just forget about. And I know that the human mind does not allow us to forget the past. There are things in my past that I cannot, I cannot erase from my memory. And there's things in your past that you cannot erase this from your memory. And I do the best I can when the enemy comes knocking and says, Nate, remember this? I just tell the enemy the truth. Yes. And the truth is this. Christ paid for that. And I have acknowledged that. I have dealt with it. And I have moved on. So get behind me and leave me alone. I'm moving forward. And I tell you to do the same. Forget the past. Strain towards what is ahead. Paul moves on and he says in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward and Christ Jesus. I love this because in these, these two verses here, verses 13 and 14, we see past, present, and future. Paul is saying, hey, forget what is behind. That's the past. Forget what's behind. Well, what's the future? Strain towards what is ahead. Strain towards what's ahead. That's the future. And what about the present? Press on in the moment. In the moment, what do we do? We press on. My eyes are on what's ahead. I have a prize coming. I have a relationship with God, my Father, my Heavenly Father, which is secure because of Jesus Christ. That is coming. That's, that is what, that's the prize. Life forever with Him. But in the moment... I have not arrived. I have not obtained all this. In the moment, I press on. How do I press on? By forgetting what's behind. I don't get bogged down with what's behind. I press on for what's coming. That's where I'm going, and that's where Paul was going. Look at verses 15 and 16. Paul says, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if... Some, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. These, these verses here, it, it sounds to me like what a grandma would say. Um, Paul is saying, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
Uh, it's to me what a grandma would say. Well, you're wrong. You can believe that way, but you're wrong, and God's going to let you know that you're wrong. That's almost what Paul is saying here. You know, like, well, you're wrong. You can go ahead and think that if you want, but you're wrong, and God will convince you otherwise. He'll let you know. He'll let you know that you're wrong. Paul is saying that here. He's saying, yeah, if, if on some point you think differently, well, that's, you can think differently, but God will make it clear to you that you're wrong. God will make that known to you. You're wrong. In verse 15, he's saying, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. I believe that what Paul is saying here, spiritual maturity, maturity, recognizes I have not obtained it all. I have not arrived. Part of our spiritual maturity is recognizing that I must press on. If you think that you have arrived, you will not press on. There's no, read, no, there's no need to press on if you think you have arrived. If you do not press on, you will plateau at best. But there is only so long spiritually that we can plateau. Eventually, we start to sink. Because anything, anyone that is alive is designed to grow. You were made to grow because you're alive. So press on. Don't coast. Press on. I recognize this takes work. This takes me back to where we were at two weeks ago. Work out your salvation. It's, it's work. It's discipline, isn't it? Press on. Press on. Look at verses 17 and 18, and 19 actually. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Stop there. Paul is, Paul is giving us two examples here. The very first, he's saying, follow me, Paul is saying. Uh, but he doesn't just say, only follow me. Follow the pattern that we have given you. Follow those. So the very first, the very first example is, consider those in your life that you know who are walking with the Lord. Can, and, and can we just do that? Can you just think about those people in your life that you say, I like that, and I want to be like that. I can think of those people in my life that God has provided for me who are spiritually, I would say, just further along in the race uh, than I am. That I say, I want to run like that person does. That's what I want. And, and Paul is, is saying, hey, there is a positive example that you should be following. Join me in, in doing this. Follow this. Pattern your life after them. Because not that their life is, is free of pain or difficulty. 
That, that's absurd. You follow Christ, and, and there's, there's going to be a certain amount of difficulty that you encounter just because you're following Christ. Why? Because it's countercultural. So, so, so we have to be okay with that. But even though there is a certain amount of difficulty in following Jesus, you see this, don't you? That for people who follow Christ, who genuinely hunger after following Christ, there is joy and peace that those believers have. And I say, I want that. I want a piece of that. Again, I, like I say, there are people in my life that I, I, I look at and I say, I want to be. And, and for me, it's, it's like him. There, there, are, there, are, there are a handful of men in my life that I say, I want to be like him. There's, there's, a, there's a professor I think of right now. Well, we've had him here. It's, it's, my, it's Daddy Dave. That I, I say, we, we had him here a, a year and a half ago or so. I say, I want to be like him. Why? Because I have watched him for 25 years and I say, I like who he is. I like how he treats his wife. I see that his faith is for real. He's not putting on. I've been with him in his home. I see how he treats his kids. I like who he is. I want more of that. I want to grow to be like him. And Paul is saying, model yourself. Find the right people. Find those people in your life that you say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. That's who I want to be like. And Paul's saying, you need that. But then Paul gives a second example. And, and it's the complete opposite. He's saying, there's, there's, a, there's a second example here. And, and these people, he says, are, are basically enemies of the cross. They think the cross is ridiculousness. It's foolish. They don't like the cross. And, and Paul says, his words are descriptive. Their destiny is destruction. You live like this, you're going to tank. The end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Sounds a bit like our culture today, doesn't it? Their destiny is destruction. Their God is in their stomach. Meaning, whatever gratifies them is what they pursue. Well, it sounds good, so I'll take it. I want it. I live for me. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Like, the very thing that they should be ashamed of is what they're taking glory in. It's completely backwards. It's reversed. How do you get like that? By rejecting the cross. By thinking the cross is foolish. That's how you get like that. This last week when I was, when I was reading this, I, I couldn't help but think about our culture. And I think there are actually a lot of examples of this. Their glory is in their shame. But the very first word picture that came to my mind was the governor of New York, and he's been in the, in the news a lot the last couple weeks. And I'm not talking about what has happened most recently, although that's another example. 
my mind went back to 2019 for the governor of New York. When a bill was passed regarding abortion, and it was the most progressive bill passed in the history of the USA, where abortion in the third trimester is permitted. And then what did the governor of New York do? Lit up in pink the World Trade Center on the night this passed as a celebration saying, we have arrived. And they applauded it and they championed it. It was sickening for me. And what's sickening for me beyond that is that now what is being talked about is a fourth trimester. How do you have a fourth trimester? That's impossible. But now the question on the table hasn't passed, but the question, there are people on the far left that want to push this and say, hey, if a child is born and the mother doesn't want the child, though the child is born... Can we just do away with it? Do you see what I'm saying? That is glory in shame. The very thing that we shouldn't even be talking about is what people are taking glory in and fighting for and championing. Why? Because we have rejected the cross. Isaiah 5, verse 20 says these words, Whoa! Whoa! Look out, man! Whoa! To those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, you got it reversed. It's backwards. It's not supposed to be that way. You are taking glory and shame. It should not be this way. Do you realize that Paul was that person? As much as we want to put Paul on a pedestal, and I have so much respect for him, Paul was also that person. Paul was the guy. Did you catch it last week? Paul was the guy who took glory in shame. As for zeal, he said, persecuting the church. Paul was the guy that took glory in shame. So I'm here to tell you, church, you all have shame in your past. I am not here to drive the guilt home all the further. I'm not here to do that. Paul understands having a past you don't want to claim as your own. He understands it. And Paul moved beyond it. He was the guy who gloried in what should have been shame. As for zeal, I persecuted the church of God. 
Paul is the guy that we never wanted to enter the building of Kingwood Bible Church. We would have been afraid of him. But Paul got beyond that because he pressed on. He was, when he came to know Christ as a Savior, God did something radical in his life. And Paul began to strain towards what was head, heaven. And he wanted to take as many people there as he could with him. And so for that, he pressed on. He pressed on. Are you pressing on? Are you pressing on? There's two more verses here I want to cover rather quickly. And I like it because it it draws our mind to the future here, what we are pressing on towards. Look at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Jesus does a work here. Transforms our bodies so that they will be like his glorious resurrected body. The body that Jesus had after the resurrection. We're going to get new bodies. This, there is more to come. There is more to come, praise God. Went on, went with, got to go with the youth yesterday to the snow. And Trevor was in the lead. And we had a train of nine tubes. And I was somewhere towards the end. And he did a good job steering it. I was hoping that we would not do this, but we went over a jump. And I was like, oh no, oh no, this is not going to be good. Like my body cannot do this at this age. Went flying through the air and I thought, God, please help me hit the snow. Out, 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 you know. Praise God, I'll get a new body. I'm going to get a new body. I was there telling all the youth, take it, go down it. You're young. You heal real fast. It'll hurt just a little bit, and then you'll be walking again. But the older we get, no. It doesn't work that way. We're going to get a new body. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get so enamored by life here on earth that you forget what we're actually straining towards. What's actually coming. Don't forget that. We get rather comfortable here, don't we? Don't forget what's coming and press on. Do you want to press on? Are you willing to press on? Will you press on? According to these verses, I want to share really quickly four things that we've already looked at. So you should identify them or you should know them. Four things that will help us press on. One, humbly acknowledge I haven't arrived. Humbly acknowledge I have not arrived. I have not already obtained all of this. So I press on. Two, Pursue 
greater knowledge of Christ. Pursue greater knowledge of Christ. I want to know Christ more. I want to know him more. Three, follow faithful examples of the faith. Do you know who they are in your life? Who are those examples? Know who they are. Follow them. They are imperfect people. Don't put them on too high of a pedestal. When we do that and they fall, it can be disastrous for our faith. There have been some main Christian leaders over the last couple years who have spiritually fallen. That does not mean that what their message was is incorrect. It means they fell spiritually. So recognize that as great as they are, they can fall. I can fall. I don't want to. Pray that I won't. Pray I remain strong. But, but we, we've got to be careful here. And so follow godly examples, but also understand that they're human. Four, the final one, live in light of my true citizenship. Live in light of heaven. Live in light of my true citizen. Uh, sorry, citizenship. In closing, on the, the title page here, you see um, a picture of the flower, don't you? Um, when I chose this picture on Unsplash, I, it was actually larger, a little bit larger. And um, I'm not sure if you recognize it, but around, it's actually a desert. Um, and I chose this picture because I like the imagery of beauty coming from the desert. And God is able to do that. There is joy that you and I receive as we press on spiritually. As you press on spiritually, joy will be yours. Are you pressing on? I trust you're pressing on. May you press on. Lord God, may we collectively press on for the prize. Press on for that which you have offered us. New life here today, now, but also life forever with you which is to come. God, thank you for that. Father, I recognize that there are things in our past that hinder us from moving on. I pray that those who are here and those who are listening online right now, if there is something in the past that is really hard to move on, God, by your Spirit, may you empower them to move forward. May they understand that because of the cross, if they recognize that you, Lord Jesus, have paid the price for that, they too can move on. May they do that. Lord, we give you the praise. You deserve all praise and all glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.